Good morning, brothers and sisters. The story that our Lord tells the Pharisees in the gospel today is not a parable. It's not a metaphor or a simile, something that Jesus made up in order to teach some spiritual lesson. Jesus is telling a real-life historical event. Now, we don't know when it happened, but since he's God, he, of course, knows everything. And so he chooses to use this real event to teach a lesson. He tells us about a rich man. We don't know his name. But we know the name of the poor man, the sick and poor man who was laying on his doorstep. His name was Lazarus. So in this story, obviously, the rich man who's very wealthy, we know he's very wealthy because of a few descriptive words. It says he dressed in not just linen, but fine linen, so more expensive linen, and it was purple. Now, back in the day, thousands of years ago, you you couldn't just make synthetic dyes easily. Colored clothing is cheap for us, it's easy because we make synthetic dyes. To get purple dye was very expensive in the old world, very expensive. Usually had to use flower petals. And so because of its expense, almost no one had purple clothing except royalty or extremely wealthy individuals. So he's, he's the finest linen and it's purple. And he didn't just dine well every day. The scriptures say he dined sumptuously. I think that's a wonderful word. I don't know if I've maybe dined once or twice sumptuously in my life. He did it every day, every, probably every meal. Extreme wealth. And our Lord tells us in the gospel that he went to hell. Now some may think, how, how could he go to hell? He still has love in his heart, right? He asks Father Abraham to send Lazarus from the dead to preach to his brothers so that they would repent and not end up where he is. You see, we know he's in hell, the fathers tell us, because of what Abraham says to him. He says that there is a great chasm that has been established to prevent anyone from crossing from your side to ours or our side to yours. Now, the only one who could establish such a chasm is God, and the only place this chasm exists is between the redeemed and the damned. You see, souls can pass from purgatory to heaven and from heaven to purgatory. The saints actually in heaven will go down and try to comfort the souls in purgatory. So there's journeying back and forth between those places. But he's clearly in hell because there's no escape and he's in torment. Now he says, please warn my brothers so they don't come here. But if we know he's in hell, he has no more charity in his heart. So why would he say such a thing? Well, these same fathers of the church tell us it's because he hated his brothers so much he didn't want them to go to hell because he didn't want to be with them. Think about that one for a moment. (laughs) Now it's interesting to note also that Jesus only tells us the name of Lazarus. Why doesn't he tell us the name of the rich man who went to hell? It's because of our Lord's love for us. It's no one's business who goes to hell. Our Lord protects the identity of this man. The only certainty we have of any souls in heaven are the ones that our Lord confirms through his church. We call them the saints. But our Lord will never reveal to any of us, if we we don't need to know, so to speak, anyone in hell. It's not our business. That's between him and them. Now, this man's condemnation was not because he was excessively wealthy or because he wore purple garments or ate well each day. 
His condemnation was because there was a poor and sick man named Lazarus on his doorstep and he never did anything to help him. That means every time this man left his home, he would have seen Lazarus. This man had more than enough and yet he was heartless to this poor sick man who had less than nothing. It was because he had a hard heart. He had no compassion, no mercy, no generosity to those less blessed than he. That's what we heard in our first reading from the book of Amos. Amos is prophesying that those Israelites who are very well off, who enjoy their wealth and the benefits that it brings, and yet have no love in their heart for the sick and the suffering and the needy, they'll be the first to be punished, the first to be punished by God. We know that our Lord teaches us that he gives wealth to certain individuals so that they would use it to help those who have less, who are lacking. He constantly encourages us to be generous and to give to those in need. Now, that doesn't mean we don't save up for retirement and, and, and things like that. Yes, those are obligations. You need to provide for your family, and you should provide as well as you can. But there's a difference between being able to meet the needs of your family and being so excessively wealthy that you're just storing up money. There was another parable, or may have been a story, where Jesus told of a rich man who was about to die, but his crops had yielded so much bounty, he thought, I'm going to tear down my current barns, which are already full, and build even bigger ones, and then I can just live off the fat for the rest of my life. And then he died, and he got punished, because he was only concerned with his own well-being. He didn't need all that he had. He couldn't even use it. He had to build bigger barns. And because of that hardness of heart, he was punished. He was condemned. But it's an important rule to remember that Jesus is the only one who can require you to be generous. This is an important rule. God is the only one who can require, according to justice, that we give to those in need. The reason is that he gives to us when we are in need, even though we might not deserve it. Now, why do I point this out? All of us intuitively know that even though we're supposed to support insofar as we are able those in need, that doesn't mean everybody who asks for help needs help. There are lazy people out there. And the Bible says those who do not work should not eat. Those who do not work should not eat. So just because somebody comes begging to you and presents some sad story doesn't mean you should give to them. I don't know if they're really in need. I mean, the story sounds sad. It could be true, but I don't necessarily know. There is no commandment at all in the scriptures. It says, give to those who ask of you. Give to those who want. No, give to those in need. Those are the works of mercy. When you visit the sick or the imprisoned, when you give food to the hungry, clothing to the naked, shelter to the homeless. When you provide generously for those in true need, technically whether they deserve it or not, that is because God has done the same with you and with me. I do not deserve his mercy, his love, and yet Jesus 
we know, became poor. He emptied himself of his glory in heaven, became a slave, a human, so that we would become rich, that he would fill us with the wealth of the Spirit. So because of that great generosity, he requires of us that we give, especially of our excess, to those in need. And for that reason, he can punish us if we don't. He can punish us if we don't. But God is pretty much the only one who rightly can do that. One of the philosophical errors of our age and ages past is that charity, generosity, love, compassion, mercy can be required of citizens. And that's baloney. You can't require that by law. That is unjust. It's unjust. Do you know why? Because it's my money. It's my house. It's my car. It's my possessions. I worked for it. I earned it or I inherited it. Either way, it's mine. And ownership is part of the natural order that God has established in creation. Now, since ownership is a real thing established by God in nature, and that means some people are going to own more than others. Okay. Since they own it, they have the right to determine its use. Whether you or I like it or not, they have the right, according to justice, because they are the owner, to determine its use. And if they are hard of heart and don't want to give it to the poor and the needy, that's on them. It is unlawful for any government church or civil, to try to force generosity. Taxes are different, okay? I know you can get really complicated in this area, but there's a difference in requiring some tax in order to take care of the needs of the greater body. But generosity can never be required. Otherwise, it's not generosity, it's justice. And the only way you can take from what belongs to me and forcibly give it to somebody in need is if that other person has earned it. That's the only way it could be just. This is one of the major problems with socialism and communism. It's built upon the philosophy that the ends justify the means. What we mean by that is, I can do whatever is necessary as long as my goal is good. And since feeding the poor, housing the homeless is good, I can take from the rich and give to the poor. That's evil. That would be condemned in the sight of God. Good motivation, bad means. For an action to be good, not only does the end, the goal have to be good, but the way you get to that goal has to be good as well. This is an easy example. We use this in seminary, okay? When we were studying moral theology. So let's say that Father Miller has the exact body type, blood type, organ type, everything, that would fit five people who are dying. And if I were to give those five organs, then those five people would survive. Now, theoretically, I could generously give my life as Christ did to save those five people. Okay, fine. Let's say I am dying. And I decide to be an organ donor and donate these organs to save these lives. That's noble of me. That's generous. But can the law require me to give? Socialism can, communism can, anyone who believes that the ends justify the means can for one simple reason, it's mathematics. Five lives are better than one life, you would think. So if the sacrificing of one life can save five lives, well then it's worth the sacrifice. 
And so you'd think, well, then we can require the one to sacrifice. That means I don't even have to want to do it. The government can just come and take my organs. Obviously, that's untrue. Obviously, that would be evil if they or anyone would attempt to do so. Even if I were dying, I could say no. I don't want to be an organ donor. I'm sorry. I don't want to give up my organs even in death. And no one can take them. And if they did, technically that's stealing. And that's a damnable offense according to God's commandments. It's stealing because I own them. They are mine. God gave them to me. And I can use them generously or selfishly, but you cannot require me. You, the government, the church, cannot require me to be generous with what is mine. But Jesus Christ and the church encourage us to be generous. That's the difference. It cannot be required by law, but it can be encouraged. And it should be encouraged, and it should be rewarded. It's like when you're trying to teach a child to do something good. That good thing may be difficult to do, and so you have to give them or offer them some reward in order to motivate the goodness. I mean, Jesus does. Jesus says, hey, you get to go to heaven forever if you do what I tell you. There's no greater motivation than that. But the idea that the ends justify the means or that any type of governing body can forcibly make you be generous, that is unlawful and ultimately demonic because it's not generosity if it's forced. It's justice. And if it's justice, then they have to give us a premise for why that person has earned or deserves what belongs to me. Now, I bring all this up because one of the biggest issues in the United States is this whole border issue. Open borders, closed borders, who we let in, who we don't, and it's creating this massive rift between the extreme left and the extreme right. On the extreme left, their argument is one of charity. It's a good argument, I have to admit, as a Christian. These people are in need. We have resources here in the United States. We're at least better off than maybe the country they're coming from. So therefore, the far left believes you have a moral obligation. Notice the terms. A moral obligation, meaning you have to let anybody in who wants to come in and give them whatever they need. That is not true. I'm sorry, it's just not true. That means if you own a home, and it's a big house, and again, I've used the example before, let's say you're not using the basement. And there's some people coming through town who don't have a place to stay. That would also mean that you have a moral obligation to let them stay in your basement. That's your basement. I'm not saying it wouldn't be incredibly generous and loving and God wouldn't reward you if you do it, but that's your decision to make. You cannot be forced to do so by law. In fact, law requires that the right to your own property be defended by the police. So if somebody tried to break in and sleep in your basement, you could call the cops on them. Then they'd at least get a jail cell and not be on the street anyway, so that's not too bad. But you'd have the right to do so, and there'd be no sin in that. It's your house. The laws of the United States of America are very clear. Every country is its own home, and it's owned by the people who live there. And the right to their own property and possessions, and who they let in and who they don't, has to be protected and defended. One of the reasons we know the extreme left is incorrect, 
is because, as I'm sure you've seen in the news, whenever a lot of migrants get sent to their towns, their cities, they get upset. Well, wait a minute, that's a sanctuary city. I thought you said, welcome to everyone in need. Well, except this group. It's hypocrisy. Why trust anybody who's a hypocrite? But that doesn't let the far right off the hook either. Because there are those on the far right who want to say, close all borders, don't let anybody in no matter what. That's just heartless. There are real people in real need, and we can help them. But we have to vet, we have to discern and investigate who's in real need. Again, that's what it comes down to. Not who wants to come into this country, but who needs. Not who wants my money, my help, but who needs. I can give what's mine to anyone I want, regardless of the reason. But when charity is the governing force, I do need to be discerning. So when somebody comes to me here at St. Dorothy's, because I'm in charge of the charity account here, I have to make a discernment. Is this person really in need? Or are they just coming and asking because it's a church and they're hoping to get some money? Now with parishioners, I know more about your life and situation, so it's easier for me to judge. If not, I investigate a little more. But when non-parishioners come, I have to be even more careful because I don't know them. I always try to speak kindly and respectfully to them. If I can't verify one way or the other, I will at least give something if they come and ask. It might not be as much as they wanted, but I'll give something. Even if I'm wrong and they're just taking advantage of the church's generosity, then that's okay. The Lord's still going to bless us. I mean, you never get in trouble for being generous. But it happens sometimes that that same person comes back regularly. Like I'm talking about non-parishioners, people I don't know, always with another sad story. After a while, I'm like, I'm sorry, we can't help you anymore. Because you begin to see a pattern. And it's difficult. You know, it, it's, it's hard for me to send anyone away. I'd love to have billions of dollars to just hand out. But honestly, even if I did, that might not be the right thing. That doesn't necessarily encourage those who need to get their lives together to do so. Maybe they're not truly in need. Maybe, as our Lord said, if they do not work, they should not eat. And that's a bitter pill to swallow when we want to be generous. But remember, the far right or left on any topic is never the truth. Never. Our Lord is always found in the middle somewhere. So for your own sake in your situations in life, it's okay to be discerning. And so just because somebody comes and asks you for something, some help, it doesn't mean you have to say yes or no right away. So I need some time to think and pray about it. And it's perfectly fine to ask them for some proof. There's nothing wrong with that. What's the old saying? Trust but verify. Trust but verify. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.